We'll be finding John chapter 13, and we'll just kick the sermon off with a little video while you find John chapter 13, the Gospel of John. Well, you don't get tired of watching things like that, do you? Now, what, what made that crowd so excited about seeing him hit that bucket? Really, it wasn't so much about the basket. They were excited before because they were seeing love in action. And nothing will change a group of people than a time when they see love in action. They were seeing a coach put in a player who had some special needs, and he went out there, and then to boot, he makes a two three-pointers. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. And the last one's at the buzzer. And wow, that gets really exciting. So everybody's excited about that. They're excited for him. Nothing will change the atmosphere of a group of people than when love is extended. Nothing will change a church body than to know when you walk in the door, love is going to be shown. And we're going to find that out in the scriptures here because there's a great higher love than a group of students supporting an athlete. It's the love that God has for us. And that love must work its way into our lives as we allow and receive His love through salvation in Jesus Christ. But it must work its way out. It's never to be received and held on to and kept inside. It's to work its way out from our lives to the lives of others, other people and be extended. Look what the Scripture says in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 34. Just these two verses in the time that we have left this morning. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You know, everywhere you turn, churches are posting what we call purpose statements. Sometimes they're labeled mission statements, sometimes vision statements. In fact, I don't think anyone agrees totally on whether it should be called a purpose, a vision, or a mission statement. But everybody wants people to know what their church is, is about the most. They want them to let them know when they look on their website, what, are this, what is this church about? What are these people about? And so these statements are very good, I think, because they do help us to express our heart as a church. They help us express who we are and what we feel called to be and do as a church. And to remind ourselves also what we've said we believe God's called us to be and do as a church. So I think such statements are good. But something I've learned through the years, however, is this. And that is, it's impossible for a church to declare in a single statement everything that God's called us to be and do. It just can't be done. And if we rely too much on it, we'll never get around to doing all the things that God wants us to do. We'll just focus on one or two things. However, when we do have something that we feel like needs to be a focus, at least for a period of time, it is helpful to put that in a statement, to come together and focus on that for a season of time in the life of the church and say, this, we believe, is what God's calling us to do right now. Now, another thing that I've learned is if you put that on the heart of a committee, the committee will never agree on what that statement ought to be. And then if the committee brings it to a church, everybody in the church will never agree as to what that will be. But I would tell you that God places on the heart of pastors what he wants to do in the here and now when they give him time to speak to their heart, when they turn to him and seek his face. And I believe people in the church will confirm that. 
Because people in the church pray and they can hear from the Lord too. It is possible for us to discern what God wants us to be and do as a church right now. During this season of time, as you're seeking a pastor, what would that be? Well, I believe God has has impressed upon my heart something that I, I think the church should focus on right now. And really, it's not exhaustive. It's not all that philosophical for those who'd like to see something real heavy and philosophical. It's not long. And the truth is, it's not totally measurable. And we like to have things that are measurable. I mean, if we're shooting for 20 in a class, we know when 20 show up. Well, this isn't necessarily all that measurable. But I would say this, it is biblical. And when it's happening, people know it. When it's not happening, people know it. When it's happening, God is glorified. And Jesus is lifted up. When it's not happening, God is not present. And here's what I believe we must do. And I'm just going to call it a motto so that somebody doesn't say, well, this brother Christian said this is to be our purpose statement from here on out. Look, there's much more to that than this. But I believe this is a starting point, and here it is, and they'll put it up on the screen for you. Just make this a motto for a while. Show up and love. Show up and love. When the body of Christ gets together, they ought to be loving one another. That's what Jesus said. That's what John said Jesus said right here. He said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have loved one for another. We should show up and love. First of all, I want you to know that love is expected It's not an option for us as believers. We think it's optional. It's not an option. Jesus expects us to love one another. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. God expects us to love the, the world too. It's at the heart of God the Father to love. He showed His love by sending Jesus. Jesus resides in the heart by His Holy Spirit, in the hearts of those who who believe on Him, And we express love back to Him by loving other people. So that's everybody. He loved the whole world. That's everybody. It's those inside the church. It's those outside the church. But the command is given to those inside the church. We're to love one another. Jesus said, love one another. Then He adds these words, as I have loved you. What does that mean? What does that look like? It means we're to love people unconditionally. It means we may go through painstaking times to love someone, to express our continual love and be consistent in our love one to another. You know, sometimes we say, well, I I love fishing. I love fishing. Man, I just can't get enough of it. Or I love sports. Or I love basketball. And a lady might say, I love scrapbooking. And so ladies get together and say, I love quilting. Boy, we just have a great time. We love to quilt. Some people might say, I love that restaurant. Oh man, the food and the service, the price isn't too pricey. I love that that restaurant. The food's amazing. Well, there are things that we say we love or we love to do, but the truth is, if it's too hot outside, I don't love fishing. (laughs) Not right then. Maybe when the weather changes, a new season comes along, then I get back to loving fishing. If a new restaurant opens up in town... And I like their food better. And I know you're like me too. You might just go there for a while. You might say, oh, I love this place. 
Oh, I love this place. This place is the best. Well, wait a minute. I thought you said the other place was the best. I thought you loved it most. Well, yeah, but right now I love this better. Our love begins to go from one place to the other. It doesn't always stay the same. We often say that we love someone or something, but we base that on certain conditions, don't we? We base that on something like this. We love them if the conditions are just right at this time in my life. If those conditions are met, I love it. Okay. If, if something or someone else comes along that I can love better, well, I'm going to shift my love right over to them and love them instead. Well, that's conditional love. We need to love unconditionally. Jesus loved us even when the conditions were bad. Jesus continues to love us although the conditions are bad. And He's going to continue to love us even though the conditions may stay bad in our lives. He loves us when we mess up. Can I have an amen? He loved us when we were messing up before. We came to Him. We gave Him our life. He still loves us and He's going to love us through to the end. He loves us unconditionally. A few years ago, the cover of Newsweek magazine read, Forget the church, follow Jesus. And there are a lot of people in the world who feel that way today. That loving other people is an option. We can love Jesus without having to be connected to the church. That we can love Jesus without loving His church and His people. We are the church. God's people, we are the church. Well, I can love God without having to love so-and-so. I can love God without loving those people down there at First Baptist Church in Garrison. We, We think that's an option that we have. But Jesus and the church are a package deal. Just like Crystal and I, we're a package deal. I mean, you can't say, well, I love that brother Christmas, but I hate his wife. I don't like her very much. Well, listen, buddy. I mean, if you love me, you'll love my wife. If my wife even didn't act very well, but she does. Trust me, she acts way better than me. If, if you don't love her, I'm going to tell you what, you can't love me. We're a package deal. We come together, she and I. I mean... You can't say you love me but hate her. She's my bride. She is my wife. We go together, okay? We come together. Neither can you love the Lord Jesus without loving His church, His bride. The Lord Jesus and the church are connected together. I love you, Lord, but I don't want anything to do with church folks. I love you. I don't want anything to do with other Christians. Listen, that's how we feel sometimes. We feel like we don't want to have anything to do with those Christians, wherever they may be. Sometimes we get hurt. Sometimes we go through a time of confusion. Which of God's people are right? Which doctrines are right? Sometimes we get hurt because God's people don't act right. So we don't want to be there. But here's the thing. We have to strive. We have to pursue. We have to continue to be connected because God requires it. He and His church go together. The second thing that we see is that love is reflected. Jesus said in verse 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We're to reflect the love of Christ. To be a Christian means to be a little Christ. To be a little Christ. To be like Him so that others will see who He is. And when people see that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, they see how we reflect His love one to another, they will want Jesus. They'll want Jesus. Now, for sake of time, I'm just going to skip some and I'm going to go on down to another verse. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. 
1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says, If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. How can you not love your brother, yet say that you love God? So we see that love is expected. We know that love's to be reflected, that love that Christ had for us, that unconditional, sacrificial kind of love that the Lord Jesus had for us in that he died on the cross. But thirdly, love is to be directed. It's to be directed toward those around us. It's to be directed toward our family. It's to be directed toward the body of Christ. Loving one another requires action. Loving one another is to be intentional. It's directed from us out toward other people. We must show up and we must love. It's a true story of a man named Fred about his younger days. When he was a boy, his father had been hurt by someone in the church, and so he quit attending. He quit coming. For years, people from the church would reach out to his dad. They would come by the house. They would bring stuff to the house. Whenever they had something special going on, they would come by and they would invite. They would call. They would check in on him from time to time through the years. So they were reaching out to him, and here's how he responded, and this is what he would say to his wife and to his son, Fred. All they want is another name and another pledge. They've got something else going on down at the church. They're just wanting more support for that. They really don't want me. Meaning they didn't really care about him. They just want more people. They want more money. And year after year, they would hold a, a, a revival. The same evangelist would come to town who knew him and had always talked with him. And in those years when he was away from the church, when he came to town to preach the revival, he would go to that man's house and he would talk with him and he would plead with him to come back to the church, to get involved in another church, but to do something besides sit at home. And here's what he would get as a response. All they want is another name and another pledge for their projects. Until one day, Fred's father had become very ill. Eventually, he knew that he had to fly home to visit his dad in the hospital. And when he arrived, he was shocked to see how frail his father had become. He had dropped to a mere 78 pounds, just barely even a person at all laying there in that hospital bed. He couldn't talk anymore. Cancer had eaten up his throat. So when he arrived, he was totally shocked to see the condition that his father was in. But he was also shocked to look around the hospital room and to see the many responses people had made and given toward his father. He went around, he saw all the flowers. They just lined the floor all the way around. They lined the tabletops that that were in the room. And he went by and he began to read all the little cards that had been written. And some of them weren't flowers, they were just regular cards that had been sent, come in the mail, sent to his room. And he began to read all these and the thing that he noticed most was this. They had all come from the same church that had been reaching out to him through the years. The same church that he no longer loved, no longer wanted to be a part of and made excuse after excuse about going back and becoming a connected part of. His father, now unable to speak, motioned Fred over to his bedside, and he wrote these words from Hamlet. He wrote them down on a notepad. He couldn't speak. He wrote them down for him. Draw your breath in pain 
as you tell my story. That's the words. Draw your breath in pain as you tell my story. And he said, what story, Dad? What story are you talking about? What is your story? And then his father wrote these three words. I was wrong. I was wrong. That's the story he wanted his son to share. And he knew it would be in pain that he would share that. But he'd come to this moment in his life where he knew the time of reckoning had come. All those years, he was wrong. And he knew he was wrong. Love is to be directed. We're to love people intentionally. Romans 12, 9 says, Love must be sincere. And those church members had committed themselves to providing Fred's father however much time and however many opportunities it might take for him to see the love of Christ and to allow God to change his heart. They were committed to loving as God commanded them to love. They're to love one another. And as far as they were concerned, he was still one of them. He was just out of place but he still needed to know that they considered that he still belonged. Love is expected. It's to be reflected, but it's also to be directed. It's to be intentional. So we can't just show up and be loving automatically. We love out of the love that we have for the Lord Jesus. And his love flows through us. And it's a committed kind of love. It's an unconditional kind of love, and it's constant. And I would encourage you as a church body, in these crucial days, we're living in critical times. I don't know if you've noticed, the world is filled with hatred. The world is killing one another. Students are growing up killing each other. Uh, Our old pastor in Fort Worth, Dr. Al Meredith, used to say, The world's going to hell in a handbasket. That means other people in the world are carrying them there. It's true. What will make the difference? Love will make the difference. When we share love with people unconditionally, it opens the door for the gospel. What did Jesus do to the woman caught in adultery? What did he do to those who were going to stone her? He said, he's who without sin cast the first stone. And he talked to her and he said, go your way. Did he say, keep the same life that you've had all along? No, he didn't say that. See, he didn't promote her sin. He said, go your way and sin no more. He showed her love at the time when she needed it the most. Jesus healed people to show them he loved them. He healed them so that they might see he had the power to also forgive sin. He's about the forgiving business, but he met people at the point of their need and he loved them no matter what. If there's ever something that must happen in our churches today, we must be able to walk through the doors and know that we're loved. And the only way for that to happen is if God's people come through the door saying, today, I will show up and I will love others. I will not show up and just sit. I will not show up and do nothing. I will show up and I will love. And there's a lot of ways that that love can be expressed, but it starts with a commitment to God that says, I will show up and I will love others as you have loved me.
Because by this will all people know that we are his disciples. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin left the crimson stain, washed me white as snow. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin washed the crimson stain, washed white as Your grace still amazes me.